Greetings and welcome to Creative State, a podcast about arts, culture and heritage in Washington. My name is Karen Hannan, the Executive Director of Arts War, your Washington State Arts Commission. Our mission is to be a catalyst for the arts, advancing the role of the arts in the lives of individuals and communities throughout the state. I am so glad you've joined us to hear about incredible people and their stories across the great state of Washington. And now, on with the show. Hello, I'm Michael Wallenfels, ArtsWaz Communications Manager. You'll be hearing me in conversation with today's guests, Gallery One Executive Director Monica Miller, ArtsWaz Poetry Out Loud Manager Judy Colin, and Washington State Poet Laureate Rena Priest. For our final segment, you'll hear Gabriella Smith, our Vet Corps Navigator for the Wellness, Arts, and the Military program, speak with Olympia Poet Laureate Ashley McBunch. First, let's meet Monica. Gallery One was honored at the 2021 Governor's Arts and Heritage Awards, and we spoke over the phone about Gallery One's history and the crucial decision-making Monica and her team did in the early days of the pandemic. So, Monica, please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about who you are and your role at Gallery One. Hi, my name is Monica Miller, and I am the executive director of Gallery One. Uh, As the director, I have the honor of working with an incredible team that consists of the staff of Gallery One, the the artists in our community, incredible group of board members, even larger group of um, more volunteers to work together to create a community that's drawn together by art. So tell us a bit more about Gallery One. How did it start? Where is it right now? Gallery One is, we're a nonprofit arts organization. Our mission is to provide access to the visual arts through exhibitions, education, events, community outreach. We were started or founded in 1968. So this is our 54th year of um, being here in Ellensburg on the land of the Confederated Tribes and Bands of the Yakima Nation, in addition to exhibition space, where we still showcase the work of artists from Ellensburg, Kittitask County, the Pacific Northwest, and from around the country. In addition to that, we also have an incredible um, gift shop that provides, you know, access to artists and designers and craftspeople to the community at large and also to visitors here. We installed a ceramic studio downstairs as well, so we have this incredible resource. And upstairs, where we were originally, where the original 35 or the first 35 years were spent, um, we now house artists in the studio spaces. We have a large classroom where we host our art after school programs as well as uh, workshops for all ages. And uh, one of our newer programs is something called the Art Lab. It's a space where artists can come in and um, use the internet, use the Adobe Creative Suite to work on their images or to apply for exhibits and or grants. And we have equipment for artists to document their 
work as well. So in short, Gallery One does a lot. We do all the things. <laughs> we try to do all the things. So given the big journey that Gallery One has already gone on, how do you see it evolving in the future? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think we're in a great position to really start looking at at the future. So 54 years later, as I mentioned, um, it feels like we're really busting at the seams here in our beautiful space, and we're collectively eager to explore ways for us to continue to, you know, serve our community, expand our reach, and you know, specifically work to create more equitable opportunities in the arts, uh, in addition to working with the schools in Kittitas County. Uh, we're also considering how we can expand our blueprint to you know, serve artists and serve community members in, in more ways. You are a Governor's Arts and Heritage Awards honoree. And in your interview that you did for the awards ceremony, you talked about this moment early on in the pandemic where you called a meeting, and at that meeting, the conversation that you had became a blueprint for Gallery One's entire pandemic response. So take us back to that moment. What were you hoping to accomplish in it, in that meeting? You know, what's it like to reflect on that moment now? It was just very practical. You know, we had heard about the coronavirus. We had heard about um, other areas um, in the world and then the country starting to close down. We hadn't had any restrictions yet. It was, I think it was our regular staff meeting. It's like, let's, you know what, maybe we should spend a little bit longer than we usually do <laughs> to check in um, and do some some brainstorming. I think first and foremost, what we wanted to do is sort of talk through what our safety and health concerns were and what the implications of that would be. So we started very practically around sanitizing and social distancing, which were, you know, sort of the first recommended steps that we all take. So we just talked about, okay, well, I'll order some hand sanitizer and we'll space our chairs out six feet apart. So we started you know, just very specifically, very practically, but by the end of it, we had outlined our, our various areas and we had stickies around our large classroom. You know, it was like, okay, all of a sudden we're thinking, oh, well, what if, what if we do have to close? Okay. What about the artists? How will we work with them? What about our exhibits? What will we do about our exhibits? What about our members? So we just each, you know, the six of us, uh, we just kind of did this huge brain dump and brainstorm. Like for example, with artists, really go, uh, what if you know they don't have access to their studio spaces? What if they don't have access to the exhibits? What if they don't have access to earned income through offering workshops? So we brainstormed that that's what the moment was. Like that's exactly how how we kind of mapped it out. And over the last couple of years, we've just sort of gone through that list. And a lot of the things were, you know, well-received and a lot of the things, you know, they didn't, we didn't continue them, but we tried. And 
to look back, which is weird to say look back, because although it's only been two years, it does feel like it's you know been a, a decade's worth of <laughs> programming and, and effort, I think has taught me a lot about the power of just being able to stop for a moment and ask what if, you know, it changes your your vantage point. And I'm hoping, uh, <laughs> hoping that in the future, we'll still be able to do that because I don't want to sugarcoat, oh, we made this list and then we followed, <laughs> we followed this plan and it's all been roses. Um, I definitely feel like we, as so many others in our community and the world, you know, have also been on the cusp of burnout and feeling as though there was no light at the end of the tunnel while feeling responsible to be that light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that experience taught us as a team that there's value in just pausing and taking a moment. The Luminary Awards recognize artists and cultural organizations who stood as shining lights for their communities during the darkness of the pandemic. Tell us about what Gallery One did. When I think about, you know, what we did, which, you know, honestly wasn't any different than what so many other organizations were doing at, that we watched and <laughs> cheered on from, you know, our live stream from wherever they were broadcasting or heard about in various meetings. Uh, I think what what we did and what I saw so many others do over the past two years in, in ways that we hadn't done before um, is we we showed up, <laughs> I guess. We we put ourselves out there both, you know, online and and in person and really I think I'm 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 probably speaking for myself more than anyone right now, but was willing to be vulnerable and to do things in front of people that <laughs> we've never done before and trust that they would be there for us. And they were. And I think that strengthened our relationships to each other, um, not just as, you know, the nonprofit arts center here, but as people, as, as a whole community. So we, we showed up, we kept going, we could have, we could have waited, you know, we could have, and sometimes I wonder if maybe we should have uh, waited a little bit, but we didn't. Um, we got online right away, we sent out emails right away, we started communicating right away. And on one of my many, many long walks where I was processing, the change that was happening. I, I tried to think, okay, how am I going to communicate, you know, with staff, with board, with the community, like what is going on right now? And how, like, how am I going to stay grounded in what's happening? And 
I just sort of went through this exercise of listing adjectives, values, practices, verbs, just words, just this word association to sort of help me think through it. And the the four adjectives or four that became our kind of guiding principles of um, the word care were the ones that sort of flowed together, connected together, and that was, or and still is, uh, creativity, adaptability, resiliency, and empathy. And those were the words that I told myself that I would try to hold on to, and they made up care. <laughs> and it was before the first CARES Act came out. I almost wondered if I made me want to change it. I was like, no, 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 this is working for me. I'm going to hold on to this because as you know, as everybody knows, we, you know, held on to any sure footing that we had. So I think that's what we did is we, we held on to those and that's how we, that's how we moved forward. And one example of that is we, I wanted everybody on the staff to do, be able to do what they do so well. So the, the challenge was to translate that into this new environment. Well, we, one of our staff members, Clay, she's our, what is her title? She's basically like our, our hospitality queen, right? So she welcomes and greets everybody here at Gallery One. And I thought, gosh, what could Clay do that is unique to Clay? And we came up with this idea to just have her call our members. You know, she was at home. We're all, we're all home. Um, everyone was home. All of our members were home for the most part. I'm like, Clay, why don't you do what you do and just call everybody and check in? Just check in with them. There's no ask, you know, no financial asks, no suggestions, just call and, and say hi, like you do. And she started doing that. And it was so crazy how every week after she would call, I would get an email from somebody that said, I just talked to Clay. And it was such a nice conversation. It was so good to connect with her, even though I haven't been able to come into the gallery. So I think that's an example of something that we did that we wouldn't have done otherwise. That was Monica Miller, Executive Director of Gallery One Visual Arts Center in Ellensburg, Washington. Learn more about Gallery One online at gallery-one.org. For years, April has been recognized as National Poetry Month. Poets and poetry lovers hold events and readings across the state to celebrate poetry, one of humanity's oldest forms of artistic expression. Today, we'll talk to two people whose work takes them deep into the world of Washington poetry, Judy Cullen, Artsois Poetry Out Loud manager, and Rena Priest, the Washington State Poet Laureate. We'll talk to Judy first, but before we do, let's hear from a relatively new voice in Washington poetry. This is The Honey by Mahogany L. Brown. There is no room on this planet for anything less than a miracle. 
we gather here today to revel in the rebellion of a silent tongue. Every day we lean forward into the light of our brightest designs and cherish the sun, praise our hands and throats, each incantation, a jubilee of a people dreaming wildly, despite the dirt beneath our feet or the wind pushing against our greatest efforts. Soil creates things. Art births change. This is the honey. And doesn't it taste like a promise? Where your heart is an accordion and our laughter is a soundtrack. Friend, dance to this good song. Look how it holds our names. Each bone of our flesh homes sings welcome. Oh, look at the gods dancing as the rain rains against a steely skyline. Where grandparents sit on the porch and nod at the spectacle in awe of the perfection of their grandchildren's faces. Each small discovery unearthed in its own outpour, tomorrow our daughters will travel the world with each poem and our sons will design cities against the backdrops of living museums. Yes, our children will spin chalk until each equation bursts a familial tree. Rooted in miraculous possibilities and alive. That was Lucy Shannon from Anacortes, Washington. Lucy was named the champion at the 2022 Washington State Poetry Out Loud final. You heard her read from This is the Honey by Mahogany L. Brown. I'm joined now by Judy Cullen, ArtsWA's Poetry Out Loud coordinator. Judy, can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about Poetry Out Loud? What is it and how does it fit into the world at ArtsWA? Well, thank you for inviting me to the podcast, Michael. I've been with ArtsWA since 2013, and I was hired specifically to work with this program. Poetry Out Loud is a program under the Arts and Education Division of ArtsWA. Arts and Education works to increase access to the arts for all students in every corner of Washington State, which includes engagement with the literary arts, theater, visual arts, media arts, dance, folk, and traditional arts, and music. Through the arts, students and teachers can make endless interdisciplinary connections. Poetry Out Loud is actually a great example of that. Poetry Out Loud is a national arts education program that builds on the elements of slam poetry and spoken word to engage students with the power of literature, getting poetry off the page and on its feet, literally, through recitation and performance. The National Endowment for the Arts and the Poetry Foundation partner with state arts agencies to offer Poetry Out Loud in every state 
the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands, Guam, and American Samoa. The program was launched in 2005, and Washington was among the states to pilot it. In that very first year, the program included just eight high schools, and only in Thurston County. This school year, 38 schools and nearly 10,000 students participated. And we see a really wide range of students who do really well in Poetry Out Loud. It's not just your typical high achievers. Poetry is language and emotion distilled. It shares that with music, which is why so often we see them intertwined in the arts. So working with words and speaking them aloud connects students with the power of language in a way that just reading them off the page really does not. Poetry Out Loud also helps students connect with their literary heritage. The online poem anthology that we use in the program has over 1,100 classical and contemporary poems and is expanded every year to include a greater diversity of poets. And by that we mean poets transcribed from different languages, female poets, especially pre-20th century female poets. The point is to connect students with great literature. And that's not just about the themes and ideas of the poems, but it's also about the lives and the hearts of those who create them and the students making a connection with that, perhaps even expanding their own understanding of their personal heritage. There are other benefits to this program that are a little less direct, uh, but they can really make a difference for students. Reciting a poem live, whether you're doing it in the classroom in front of your peers or to an audience of people, most of whom you really don't know, builds public speaking skills and self-confidence. Now, we don't generally think of those as subjects that we're teaching in our schools, but they are taught in all sorts of ways. I remember we had a student several years ago who was not one of the higher scoring students, but we saw her pretty regularly at the regional level competitions. Her teacher shared with me that this student had been a target of considerable bullying. This student just fell in love with literature and all the things that a poem could say that she had to struggle to say for herself. Feelings and ideas that she really wanted to express, but she just didn't know how. By the time she graduated, she had grown so much that she performed as a music soloist at her school's commencement ceremony, something that would have been absolutely unheard of years before. Her teacher felt that Poetry Out Loud played a significant role in helping her evolve from a student that habitually sat at the very back of the classroom to one who sang in front of the entire student body, their families and friends. Ah, Judy, that's an amazing story. So. How does a school or a student get involved with Poetry Out Loud in the first place? Well, Poetry Out Loud starts with schools registering for the program. We have everything from small private academies to large comprehensive high schools, um, even extracurricular clubs in the Washington program. The program is structured like a spelling bee, so it begins at the classroom level. The program also includes access to curricular materials and support from the national website, poetryoutloud.org. So teachers have a lot of resources when sharing this program with their students. So like a spelling bee, there's a competition element to it. Students compete at the classroom level, advance to a school competition from there on to regional finals and then state. One student goes on to represent Washington at the national finals. There are prizes for both the school and the student at the state and national levels. To learn more about that, I would recommend that folks visit the national site at poetryoutloud.org and you can also find that information on the ArtsWA website at arts.wa.gov backslash poetryoutloud. Thanks, Judy. So 
I know that you piloted a new feature of Washington's Poetry Out Loud program this year. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, as you know, Michael, one of our prime objectives at the State Arts Commission is to make the arts, art making, art learning, art sharing, accessible to every corner of the state. And there's a whole lot of variety in Washington State. Everything from the overwhelming hugeness of Seattle to Little Grace, Washington, which sits on the border between King and Snohomish counties and I think has a population of about a dozen people. What we had not done with Poetry Out Loud previously, which the pandemic forced us to do, was use virtual tools to break down barriers and make the program available. And we saw the opportunity to make it available to a broader spectrum of Washington students. So we developed POL Virtual for individual students at schools that are not registered for the program, up to three from any single school, and for students who are homeschooled. POL Virtual sends a champion to the state final to compete with the champions from the other four regions within the state. And we're really pleased at how this first year went. And we really learned a whole lot. And I'm excited to see how it continues to develop. You're not the only one. All right. So Lucy Shannon is this year's state champion, which is extremely exciting. And I understand that Lucy wasn't the only excitement at this year's final. Can you tell us more? Well, I'd be happy to. And I think it's really important to mention that Lucy is a returning champion, which doesn't happen very often. Repeating is really hard. Every year is new poems and new students and new judges, even though the criteria remains the same. But, but Lucy did it. She is one of only three students in 17 years to accomplish that. Brianna Jones from West Valley High School in Yakima was the champion from 2008 through 2010. And Langston Ward from Meade High School in Spokane was the champion in 2012 and 2013 and went on to win the national championship. Lucy is also one of three state champions to have come out of Anacortes High School. It's a great program there. You know, I meet so many terrific young people through Poetry Out Loud, and each one of them has a unique and compelling personal story. But there's one that I want to share from this year. Um, Isabel Bennett was our very first POL virtual champion, a ninth grader from Colville High School who registered for the program just three hours before registration closed thanks to a suggestion by her teacher. Thank you, teacher. Isabel worked really diligently and was excited to come to state. And early in the week before the state final competition, I was contacted by Isabel's guardian. Izzy was in the hospital and the doctors didn't think she was going to be released by Saturday, so she was going to have to withdraw from the competition. Disappointing for everybody, of course, but but I think there was no question that her health was the number one priority. Two days before the competition, I was contacted by Izzy's family again, and there had been a breakthrough. And though Izzy wasn't going to be released before Saturday, her doctors had said that she could compete. She'd been practicing her recitations to the staff. So that staff at Providence Sacred Heart Children's Hospital in Spokane, big shout out to them, arranged to get a laptop computer and internet access so she could compete. And Isabel was back in the state final. Now that on its own is a really incredible story. But it's made even more remarkable by one of the poems that she'd chosen to recite. Uh, Invictus by British poet William Ernest Henley. Now, this poem was published along with an entire collection um, written by Henley in his youth during a three-year stay in the hospital suffering from bone tuberculosis. He'd already lost one leg from the knee down, and when a similar treatment was suggested for his other leg, He chose to travel to Edinburgh to enlist the services of the distinguished surgeon Joseph Lister, who was able to save Henley's remaining leg. 
Henley went on to live an accomplished, eventful life, living into his 50s, which is really pretty good for the Victorian era. I suspect my colleagues around the country all can share similar stories, stories that illustrate the incredible connection between students and the poems that they choose. And that's, that's the real magic of this program, the relationship between the poem, the student, and how it opens a door to art through language and self-expression. My name is Isabel Bennett, and I'll be reciting Invictus by William Ernest Henley. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. Matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That was Isabel Bennett reading Invictus by William Ernest Henley. Judy, I want to thank you for coming on Creative State today and sharing these amazing stories with us. But before I let you go, what else do we need to know about Poetry Out Loud? Registration for both schools and POL Virtual in Washington will open in late August, so be sure and check arts.wa.gov and look for Poetry Out Loud under the Arts and Education header. Check back throughout the summer as we update information prior to registration opening and, and before the school year starts. You can also watch the 2022 final and other past finals on ArtsWA's YouTube channel. Search on YouTube for the Washington State Arts Commission or look for the YouTube link icon in the upper right-hand corner of arts.wa.gov. That was ArtsWA's Poetry Out Loud manager, Judy Cullen. Now, we'll keep the thread going with a conversation with Rena Priest, Rena became the sixth Washington State Poet Laureate on April 14, 2021. She is the first Indigenous poet to be the state's Poet Laureate. First, why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself. Let us know who you are and uh, a little bit about your role. Okay, uh, so I'm Marina Priest. I'm the Washington State Poet Laureate for the term of April 2021 to April 2023. And um, it's been just a really wonderful time being able to be sharing poetry in communities throughout Washington State. This is National Poetry Month. Um, we'll be talking about a little bit where we've been talking with Judy Cullen about Poetry Out Loud. I'm curious, what did National Poetry Month mean for you before you became a laureate? And if that's changed, what does it mean for you now? Well, um, it's always just been a really nice month to be able to celebrate poetry. Although, you know, I celebrate poetry throughout the year. <laughs> you know, to, to be able to have it acknowledged and celebrated in, with everybody else. How has your relationship to poetry and your practice as a poet evolved since you became laureate? Well, uh, my practice as a poet feels public all of a sudden, which is strange. Um, and I find myself writing a different kind of poem for a wider audience as opposed to whatever I happen to be thinking or feeling at a particular moment and feeling like writing. 
so that's new. That's different. Um, it's a new challenge. And um, it's been really interesting and kind of fun in a way. I've always liked to play in different forms. And so this just sort of feels like a new a new box. <laughs> what are some of your favorite voices in Washington poetry, past and present? Let's see. I love Gloria Bird's work. It's really amazing. Um, she's a Spokane poet and indigenous. I like the poetry of, well, a lot of poetry here in my Bellingham community that I'm most familiar with. You know, there's some really incredible poets working up here. Liz, Elizabeth Vignali and Jim Bertolino's work. Also, Anita Boyle's poetry is amazing. Judy Kleinberg, her bound poems. I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but they're really these beautiful little kind of like she, she tears out. Um, words from magazines and make sound poems out of them and they're just gorgeous. I love the work of some Seattle poets too. Michael Schmelzer's work is really good. Oh gosh, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> so um, tell us a little bit about the poets that you're reading right now and are there certain poets, whether they're from Washington or uh, the United States or the, you know, internationally that you find yourself coming back to and revisiting? Yeah, well, so like right now I'm just finishing up collecting an anthology and it's an anthology of work by Native Arts and Cultures Foundation grantees. And so it's been really wonderful to be able to look at some of the work that's been produced by uh, people that they've funded in the past. And some of that work is just, well, all of it, everything I've read is really amazing. But um, I've been reading like Hyde Erdrich and Laylee Long Soldier and Natalie Diaz and Sherwin Bitsui and Michael Watson are the poets and Elizabeth Woody. Um, they're some of the poets included in that collection. And so it's been really cool getting to read that work. Great. And how about any poets that you just find yourself keep coming back to year after year? Their, their words just keep speaking to you? You know, every time I pick up anything by Frank O'Hara, it's always just um, a delight or let's see I love Gertrude Stein every time um, no matter what and you know of course Emily Dickinson and Walt Whitman and I like the work of John Berryman and James Tate. You are Washington's first indigenous poet laureate. How do you see this distinction informing your work as a laureate? What would it have meant to you if there had been an indigenous state poet laureate when you were starting your own journey? I feel like it would have validated um, my choices. I've had to struggle with a lot of doubt about whether or not this was like a legitimate life path for myself. And I feel like if there had been an Indigenous Poet Laureate when I was a younger person, I would have felt like, okay, this is something that I could do. Someone else has done this before. It's, it is a thing that people do. <laughs> and actually, the fact that Joy Harjo was Poet Laureate when Washington State put out the call for applications for this round, I, it was an, an encouraging factor for me. I thought, well, you know, let's see. I could, I could possibly do this. So it was definitely helpful in my thinking about whether or not I should apply to see, see Joy inhabiting that role so beautifully. There are very likely people that are interested in poetry, maybe interested in becoming a poet or even a poet laureate. Do you have any words of advice since, since you've, you've been in this role for a little while now? What kind of practices to, to start taking or you know, what kinds of things they can do in terms of edu- education or, or preparation to, to get them you know, in a place where they might be a good candidate for, for becoming laureate? 
Yeah, so I think definitely a good, strong background in performing your poetry is something that I would say you would need before taking on the role. A willingness and a love for being around new people and all different kinds of people is a must. As far as education, I would just say that, you know, a real passion and enthusiasm for poetry is going to be the most important thing. Um, You're asked to talk about poetry a lot, and if you are coming to it from, like, a a real love of poetry, then that's going to serve you really well. I'm curious if you can just tell us, for for folks who don't know, what kind of things happen on one of your typical visits, if there is such a thing as a typical visit, say, to a school? Okay, uh, yeah, sure. This is a good time to ask this. I just came back from Spokane. I had a little whirlwind visit there. Um, I was there from Monday to Wednesday. And while I was there, I did a high school classroom visit. I visited um, an advanced poetry class at Gonzaga University and an intersections and literature class at Gonzaga. I had a luncheon with a group of students who are in the writing program at Gonzaga, and I did a reading and Q&A also. And then I also um, was able to visit KPBX, Spokane Public Radio, and got to go on the air live with Vern Windham, and he also coordinates the poetry moment. And then I also... (laughs) While I was there, participated in the filming of a PSA. Well, actually, I don't know if I can talk about it yet because they they're going to release that at some point. So I'll just I'll leave it vague and say that we filmed the PSA. <laughs> you mentioned uh, when you were suggesting that people who are interested, young poets who are interested, uh, professional poets who are interested in maybe becoming laureate to really work on performance, um, and that segues into something that we're also talking about on this episode of the podcast, uh, which is poetry out loud. Performance and recitation is a pretty critical component of Poetry Out Loud. I'm curious what kind of experience or encounters you've had with that program, if at all. Well, so recently I got to be one of the judges for this year's edition of Poetry Out Loud, and that was a really delightful experience. I was really blown away by the talent and commitment to the art that the young people who competed in that that program had. It was really cool to watch. So yeah, it was really hard to to um, <laughs> make a decision because they were all just so good. What what do you feel is the value of a, a program like Poetry Out Loud? Well, I think that it is really calling young people to connect to literature in a way and, you know, opening the door of the opening a door to poetry to be able to like really understand it one of the components that we were judging performers on was the way that they demonstrate an understanding of the work, right? The emotional significance of what they're saying. And I I think that's really the value is to like understand the emotional significance of words and then be able to convey it through performance or recitation. That's really valuable, I think. Great. We're near the end here. And one question I didn't have on my list, but I'm kind of interested to ask you is if there are things that you that you want to accomplish before your tenure as as laureate is complete. Are there are there still some mountains that you hope to climb during your time as laureate? Yes, definitely. I'm working on, right now, I'm working on a call for submissions to start putting out into the world so that I can get some salmon poems to collect into an anthology to be published during my term. And that's that's kind of the big priority. And then also to see poetry put into 
parks. I've started to work with the Washington State Park Service so that we can put some poems in together with some public art in some places and walkways where people can enjoy that. To close this episode of Creative State, we have a conversation between Gabriella Smith, our Vet Corps Navigator for the Wellness, Arts, and the Military program, and Olympia Poet Laureate Ashley McBunch. Hello, and welcome to the Wellness, Arts, and the Military segment on the Creative State podcast. I'm your host, Gabriella Smith, the Vet Corps Navigator for the Wellness, Arts, and the Military Department. And today our guest is Olympia's current Poet Laureate, Ashley McBunch. Hello, Ashley. How are you? Fine. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for joining us as the first guest for the Wellness, Arts, and the Military segment. We discussed earlier that we would first have you read your poem, Dear Army, Do You Think of Me Like I Think of You, and then move forward with the related questions. So with that in saying, I will pass the mic over to you. All right, thank you, Gabrielle. Um, so um, this poem, Dear Army, Do You Think of Me Like I Think of You, um, came after um, thinking about my time in the military. I was medically retired um, in 2018 um, after 17 and a half years. And there's a lot of emotion inside yeah. 17 and a half years being in <laughs> um, in a institution of um, like you just don't know sometimes like where to go for because I was 17 um, when I signed up and 18 when I left and so that's a lot of formative years of thought process and decisions making that was very based off my time in the military right. and um, being medically retired takes it's a different toll mentally um, on myself and so there's um, there's that. So that's that's pretty much what this poem is um, mm-hmm. is hitting at, um, and it um, and there's different things that come up throughout the poem. So I'm just gonna read it. Okay. And um, I, yes, um, okay. Dear Army, do you think of me like I think of you? Like barely feathered birds from a shattered nest, following capitalist patterns of flight, perched. Missing the protection of cotton-blended camouflage, needle pricks of drawing evidence of life. The years have started to escape me, trapped by doctors who never believed me, mentally paralyzed while sleeping, memories of what is not crippled physically. Once a body leaves home, is that when it starts to grow? Blood hums repeatedly through my once green veins. I'm not sure how I will remember you when I am old, a truth like when the womb of my mother was filled with the seed of my father, visible to something greater than me. But you saw, daily, sacrifices of authenticity skillfully exchanged within an institution of family. Slight fabrications popped off my glassy tongue like bullets starved of trajectory. You left me, too afraid to remove the melted mask used to shine my boots. Thank you. Thank you so much for providing us with that poetic reading. 
the line that spoke to me while I was listening to it was, does the body grow once you leave home? And you stated that you had joined when you were 17, 18? Yeah, so I signed up when I was 17 and left when I was 18. That's, being 22 myself, I can tell that at 18, you're still in a state that you're a part of your family and then moving forward into an institution that is greater than yourself with this new form of a family. It is something that is a really big change. And to go through that at that age, I think that um, it's powerful to put that into your own poetry. And I can tell that this was a form of not only um, healing, but a way of expressing what you went through. So thank you so much for providing us with that poetry reading today. When did you author this poem? Was it during or after your time in service? So it was after my time. It was um, I. It was near my uh, what was supposed to be my 20th year in service. Mm. And I'm um, the type of person I am um, when it comes to writing. I, I love reading social commentary writing. I just don't really write about it. So like the present moment, sometimes I'll think I'll write about, but I really do. And um, if it's something that's very personal, I, it takes me time to process it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I want the right words to come out like immediately, but <laughs> and so it takes me time to definitely process the feelings surrounding it. And I, I think that there are many more military poems to come. Um, but yeah, that was like on the anniversary of, um, the anniversary of what's supposed to be my 20th year, which would have been um, July 3rd of 2021. I see. My, <laughs> uh, my father was a writer of his own. He would never publicly state that, but when I was much younger, <laughs> he would review my writings and edit them to end's length with a specifically a red pen. And his writings were very analytical and technical, very militaristic writing approach, so to say. Short, concise statements, effective articulation, and action-based points. In turn, I really enjoy that research-based writing myself, but I never realized how the military had shaped my own writing style. But I wonder Mm -hmm. if your idea of poetry at all changed after your time in service, or if it affected your creative style. Hmm. Um, I would say it definitely gave me a, um, another subject that I wouldn't ever think that because um, I've been writing since I was 10. And mm-hmm. so the things I wrote about were um, like a school assignment stuff, um, you know, things I was going through as life. So it definitely gave me a different um, way to view things as far as having another subject matter and how I'm observing it or I can take myself out of that um and not be, make it so personal and just like what i'm viewing what i'm seeing mm-hmm. and um uh, liking or disliking um, um about the time um my time in so i think what it did for me is um definitely gave me just opportunities to expand um my depth of writing of of topics i can talk about right. <laughs> and uh, things i um experience because you know if you stay in the same place all the time you won't be able to you know, write about things that happen across the country because you're not experiencing it. So um, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely the the option, the opportunity to expand in my writing and just write about different things in different locations. Right. And that kind of answers the question as to 
does poetry help you express what you experienced in your time and service, but are there any specific attributes of your military experience that you try to highlight in your poetry? I um, had read in previous articles that during your deployments you would use poetry as a form of dealing with distance from loved ones or family. So how did those specific attributes come to play in your poetry? Um, well, specifically, it, um, I think that there's not, I mean, we're unsure about a lot of things in our lives, but whenever you are deployed or so far away from your family, there's a lot of, uh, feelings that we're not taught that come up. There's mm-hmm. grief that that's something that we're not taught. And we have to try to explain that. Um, and you definitely learn about grief while you're in the military um, with friends, family, soldiers um, that pass and um, things that are lost and um, that are really near and dear. And you have to sort of, there's a growth that happens. I don't think that it can be fully explained to individuals that haven't exactly, haven't served. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, having that, um, that want and that passion to want to express everything that you can possibly put out there. Um, even if you're the only one that's going to read it, but hopefully you're not the only one that's going to read it. Hopefully you're sending that letter and you're saying everything that you need to say. So I want to say that poetry has helped me, uh, or the military being in the military has helped me make sure that I just put, put it out. That's like, mm-hmm. um, put it out there, you know, how it needs right. to be said, when it needs to be said, like just write it out. Um, uh, because, it's, you know, is otherwise it's going to live inside you and um, it doesn't come out in the healthiest ways sometimes or sometimes it does come out in healthy ways, extra yeah. exercise. Or something. <laughs> it, I, I 100% agree with you. And the fact that you're just amplifying your voice and providing your voice for others as well and their experiences, I think, is truly important. Are there any portions of your work or additional stories that you've written about that are not military related, such as just personal growth, pursuits, community? Um, well, uh, well, with the, my position as Poet Laureate, there are um, poems that I write for a specific occasions. So it's like a, a park is dedicated to, mm-hmm. um, or I can either write something or I can read something. And I, I versus the write something because it, it sort of pushes me to talk about a topic, you know, that mm-hmm. I wouldn't normally talk about um, because I'm not dedicating <laughs> anything to a park on a normal day basis. And so um, I, or writing things for the city um, for different occasions. So that's what I do mostly now. Um, however, before, um, mainly I write about my life, my identity. I am um, LGBTQ. Um, I am um, in a interracial relationship. I have written about things like that. Um, I'm a stepmother. Um, I won't bear kids. I don't have kids. So I write about a lot of more personal things right. on um, love and pretty much how everything has a basis of love and um, but about how love interacts and interconnected with all the different elements of life. Wow. Yeah, I I can definitely see how love is your um, basis for your poetry in a sense that it's connected to your life, your family, the people you're surrounded by, and also your experiences. 
Unfortunately, I don't believe we're going to have time for a poetry reading from the Poetry Out Loud anthology. However, I did notice that one of the spoken word poets by the name of Bridget Gray was someone that you listened to during your time in service. And I just wanted to know a little bit about how that person resonated with you or if there was any similarities between your poetry and theirs. Um, Bridget Gray, yes. Um, so I I found them on a website called CD Baby. <laughs> um, and and so, um, yeah, you know that website? Uh, <laughs> so I, yeah, so I found them on a website and I had got a CD and I had ordered some CDs and took them with me. Um, or yeah, had it walk this man or something. I don't know, remember, but I do know that, <laughs> but, this, but, um, but, um, yes, Bridget Gray, her poetry has a real rawness to it about just, just her living her life about like, there's one, like, what if we kiss? And it's just a song about her admiring someone, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or it's, it's a poem. And I say song because it's put to music. And so, um, that's, an element that I adore um, listening to poems put to music. She's a spoken word artist. Um, there's another one that she talks about um, her literature, hip hop. Oh. And it's pretty much like a breakup literature, hip hop because of, you know, the different things that happen with hip hop music uh, with, you know, the different language that she doesn't want to associate with, but then the beat takes her over. Mm. And um, I enjoyed listening to her. I actually listened to her before I um, deployed for the first time back in, Oh, five and then um and then while I was deployed um, just kept it with me because it was um yeah I just I just like mm-hmm. her her tone and how uh, the things that she talked about um and the fact that it was put to music right have you ever yeah. written or spoken yourself to a background track or have you ever done mixed media yourself such as with art included in your poetry or music um, yeah, I've, I've done a little bit. Um, I, I've made videos, um, for, um, other creative things that I do, but I haven't really put my poetry to a lot of it. Um, a few of them, um, I've done as far as like putting my artwork that I, I do some digital art and some abstract art that I paint, um, and I'll like manipulate it and, and add it to the background with the words and, and, you know, record my voice over it. Um, or I did something for, um, a, I want to say it was the Black and Trans um, Arts Fund. I want to say that I, a few months, maybe a year ago now, um, did a video with me doing flow arts with um, um, fans oh. and um, and having a um, reading poetry over the videos of my flow arts. And so um, different things, yeah. things in, in that realm. Yeah, I mean, that is the whole reason for this podcast is just the creative state, which is pulling together different types of medias and just using those forms to kind of express what what we want to say. And, you know, I think that I myself need to listen to Bridget Gray a little bit because she seems like someone who has an interesting subject, not only on um, hip hop and music itself, but also love and 
I am someone that is interested in love. <laughs> um, <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing that about her as well as your own work. And lastly, this month is National Poetry Month. So for these yeah. last two questions, I just want to ask, why do you believe poetry is important? And how do you see the responsibilities of the Poet Laureate role? Um, yes, I, so I believe poetry is important because without it, um, it would just take a, another, so many different realms of how people express themselves. Like it would just take away so much. Mm -hmm. And um, having it, like if you actually like start looking into like the different ways that people write poetry or the different um, with, um, different types of poems and how just like it's so powerful and healing and I like I like about to cry because poem poetry can take you to a whole nother place mm -hmm. whenever you're um whenever you maybe can't even find the right words but mm -hmm. somehow these little bits of pieces you put down on paper actually create um magic you know um and it may not it may not hit you right then but yeah. it might hit someone else it might, it might touch someone else and just, um, it needs to be, I feel like it needs to be spoken, it needs to be written, it needs to um, express so the vibration and frequency can, can get to everyone and, um, and heal and move and change yes. because there's, um, there's a lot of change behind the voice and, you know, we can look at all kind of different things as poetry, um, speeches, you know, right. those, those are definitely poetry and the speeches that have moved and um, divided or brought together countries um, and peoples is, you know, magical. And that's something that we need to um, be aware of, uh, the power of our voice. And, and that's what I feel poetry gives us that power. Yeah. That is definitely the voice of the Poet Laureate of Olympia and their role, which is just their passion for poetry. And I know that your objective is just to engage with this community and bring yes. them into poetry with the public. So are there any ways that people within Olympia or within Washington can take part in the Poet Laureate events or for National Poetry yes. Month? Yes. So, um, well, for down here in Olympia, we have the Arts Walk happening, and um, I am going to have an event on April 3rd at the Harbor House. Um, on If you go on to Engage Olympia, and that's exactly what it is, Engage Olympia, there's a section on there with um, Poet Laureate, and that's I post um, information on there about events that are coming up. Um, this will be my first in-person event because um, everything has been on Zoom. Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, so this might uh, be my first in-person workshop, oh, and so um, yeah, it's just going to take a small walk down by the water and have a chance to write, observe, talk about writing a little bit, and share. Um, so that's coming up. Um, other ways, people for National Poetry Month, you can go to your local bookstore, you can, and um, look up um, get a, get a new poetry book for yourself, or you can also just. Um, look into the different poet laureate programs because um, there is always a term and there's always going to be um, in your local area there's some i know there's a youth poet laureate in seattle so that's really cool and then you know we have tacoma and then lacy has their first one they just had and i'm the third one for olympia so um and then you know it's a state laureate program too so just looking in your local area to see what it's about see if you want to be part of it 
uh, see how you can. And um, I think those are two big things you can do. Local bookstores, looking at Poet Laureate stuff. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ashley, for your time and your investment into this segment. I really appreciate all that you've done today. And I hope that people go out in their community, start reading poetry, and just get into that creative state. So again, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much, Gabriella, for having me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Of course. Have a good day. Have a wonderful day, Ashley. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Creative State. I hope you enjoyed these conversations as much as we enjoyed putting them together. You can learn more about the work that we do at arts.wa.gov. Thank you again, and I hope your days are full of creativity and discovery.